This episode of the Kill by Kill podcast is brought to you in part by Stephen King's Holly, a brand new novel of suspense now available wherever books are sold. Holly Gibney, one of Stephen King's most compelling and ingeniously resourceful characters, returns in this thrilling novel to uncover the gruesome truth behind multiple disappearances in a Midwestern town. Now to celebrate the release of old uncle steve's new novel why we're going to be giving away select ebook editions of holly to kill by kill listeners that's right all you have to do is write a new review of kill by kill on apple Podcasts or google Podcasts, wherever you get the show and in the body of that review tell us about your favorite stephen king novel then take a screenshot and send it to killbykillpod at gmail.com for your chance to win your own ebook copy of Stephen King's Holly. And now, the body count continues. gentlemen boys and girls dying time is here that's right we're talking about hush on kill by kill i don't know if that's going to come out over the music but we're going with it hey there hi there hope there greetings and salutations it's your old pal patrick hamilton coming to you once again from some fucking house in the middle of nowhere this is the kill by kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film the characters and we're going to unpack all the goriest of details of 2016's hush by mike flanagan in the hopes uh, that uh, just the person trying to write for Christ's sakes, well, their death uh, we, is just the beginning of the jokes that we might make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust to write backwards that I haven't seen her face, so she doesn't need to kill me. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Oh, yeah. Uh, look, look over there. She she left yep. the key over there. Oh, okay. The, the stand still. So uh-huh. I can get this step ladder and <laughs> drop this rock on your head. <laughs> There's I would this film be improved if instead of being a writer, Maddie fashioned anvils so that she could drop it on this <laughs> motherfucker's head. It'd be a lot shorter movie. It would I be. feel. Yeah. But this uh, is already a pretty short movie. It's a very tight 80 minutes. As we said just before we started rolling, ain't no fat on this. It's no. very lean. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a, not a moment where I would think back later, eh, that didn't need that. Um, I, I think there's only one regret to this, and that is it ends too soon. But we will get to it. Um, but I, I don't want to alarm you here, Jaina. Uh, we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. Now, you may know her as a writer for many an outlet and, of course, as a podcaster, the co-host of The Losers Club. You know her as the one, the only, Jen Adams. How are you doing today, Jen? Hello. I'm doing well. And, uh, Gina, if you're going to drop a rock, I'm going to distract you at the worst possible moment and ruin any chance. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's no way I'm going to be able to get Patrick into a headlock for even like <laughs> even for like 30 seconds. It's just not happening. Maybe like two out of ten chance. With the, <laughs> amount, with the amount of effort, even even though it's projected to be cold, I would probably be sweaty by the amount of effort I have to go through. You know, it mm. sounds like a good time to tease somebody in before their death, but. This involves a lot of fucking work. And at a certain mm -hmm. point, you just got to throw in the towel and go, why don't I just shoot this person or <laughs> light the fucking house on fire? But no, mm. that wouldn't be a good movie. No. Exactly. Again, yeah. it'd be a lot shorter. Thank goodness he's stupid. <laughs> he is stupid, right? I mean, like, it is weird to go right into the movie, but I feel <laughs> like, what is the point? There, there's not a lot of plot to recount here. So yeah. we're not, we're not going, we're going to forego all of that. There are no fantastically weird bedroom details to talk about. No teen actors, eight by 10 serving as a photograph that this person took all the things that we enjoy. No uh, <laughs> dogs playing pool z Zapatas in the background. No, no chairs nailed to the wall. So um, this killer is is kind of fuck he's a he's rock stupid i think <laughs> well the thing is and and i think this is probably quite intentional mm -hmm. is that he thinks because she she is hearing impaired that she's stupid yes mm -hmm. he he, mista yes. he mistakes her having a handicap for for you know you know, not really having any brains yes mm -hmm. yeah uh and, and i I, I do think it's also interesting that she does not have any daredevil like extra sensory uh abilities mm -hmm. like super smell or something you know yes. she can smell evil or or that she can sense danger or any of mm -hmm. that shit it, yeah. it just absconds with that and just goes with she can see what's right in front of her um and she can if you know at one point she's under the porch and she feels his footsteps and shit like that mm -hmm. but there's no there's the fantastical element is really kept out of it until the last possible moment that you just, you need her to do something bigger than she's already done. And so therefore she rises to an occasion, but uh, you don't get the, you know, as, as so many post wait until dark movies do where they give someone who has uh, this, this one, um, you know, disability, the, the magical accessory ability on top of mm -hmm. it. I want to get one thing out of the way right up here at front uh, beyond our, <laughs> our villain being kind of a fucking tool. Um, you know, he likes to kill people. That's already a disadvantage, but he's exactly, also, yeah. you know, he, he also just dreamy, doesn't yeah. fucking get it. Right. Um, <laughs> the one element that I think needs to be discussed slightly up front is that as a Mike Flanagan vehicle that he wrote with Kate Siegel, who would soon become his wife, mm -hmm. is a vehicle for her. And they dreamt it up as a, if you could do anything, what would you do? And just extrapolate after that, giving her the role of a lifetime. I, I don't begrudge him that at all. That being said, we now live in a world where I don't think it, it does need to be said Mm -hmm. that this role could have gone to a deaf actress. And it didn't because one of the co-writers is the main actor in the movie. Mm -hmm. 
And when this was brought up to them on social media, I think they reacted with, well, you know, because uh, it was more of an acting challenge and, and uh, you know, we had deaf advisors on set. Da, 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 da. And there was a, a portion of the deaf community that, that really did not enjoy that answer at all mm-hmm. and hold a grudge against this movie. And I, to a degree, they are absolutely right. When you take a role away from deaf actors and then you say, well, there's not enough deaf actors who are working for me to actually audition. Well, there's a reason you keep taking the roles uh, with hearing people and putting them in the place of of, of deaf actors. So mm-hmm. I just want, like, they have a point, right? Sure, yeah. Um, yes. I don't think they there's maliciousness do. going on here. I think if this had been made even one or two years later, I think it would have been a different conversation when they were casting or trying to get it greenlit. Um, yeah. But I think the way the movie is, and this is the easy answer, is the way the movie is structured as it is, you cannot have a deaf actor play it because Maddie needs to talk to herself at the end of the movie. And she needs to have the memory of herself as a hearing person. But I think the way around that is, I mean, if you're writing the movie, you can write her as a different character and you can write that voice in your head as someone else. So I do think... It's a little bit of a cop-out to say, you know, to to defend it because they are exactly right. It probably should have been a deaf actor playing it and they probably should have written the movie in a way that a deaf actor could have played that role. Yeah. Um, I think it just, it really was just like maybe a year or two before we started having these conversations, you know? Because when did um, A Quiet Place come out? That would have been right around the same, maybe right around five, the same time, I think, like, like 2017 yeah, maybe yeah. thereabouts. And they mm-hmm. did actually, they did actually, yeah. that little girl actually is hearing impaired, which is not a little girl anymore, but in the movie. She is, right. yeah. It's two, mm-hmm. it's two years. I mean, this is filmed in 2015, but yeah, that's, it's two years later that A Quiet Place comes out. So they're basically mm-hmm. two years apart. So yeah. I, I, I would say this helps move the conversation forward that mm-hmm. things like A Quiet Place and um, uh, why am I blanking on the name of the movie that won the Oscar that has oh, Coda of Oh, Coda Coda. Um, I think those things help push that forward to the point where we're like, all right, th- this is not something we need to him and haw about. And we need to expound about how, oh, as an actor, I should be able to do anything. Cause I think that's, that is an answer that just drives everyone who's on the other side of that conversation absolutely righteously bonkers well it's mm-hmm. on, it, you know, like you should absolutely. not be defensive with these with these yes mm-hmm. these you know very reasonable questions and i mean you know the best i can say for the decision is you know she doesn't play this character it's helpless at least um mm-hmm. and you know at, at the time she was a relatively well uh, relatively unknown actor so it, mm-hmm. it she gets an interview. Right. So credit. at least it's not, yeah. you know, a big showy giving, you know, a, a well-known actor, you know, an excuse to, you know, you know, forgive my phrasing, play crippled. If you under if, if you understand what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, she yeah. you know, she was still pretty unknown herself at the time. Again, I'm not excusing mm-hmm. it. I'm saying that, you know, at least there's that. Yeah. But I also don't think 
like I I don't hold a grudge against this movie for that. Like I think it's one of those situations where when you know better, you do better. And I do wish that their response to this criticism had been that, but I also don't necessarily think they were doing anything no, no, no. Right, yeah. in making this movie. You know what I mean? I could if I were Kate Siegel. I would have a hard time giving away this part to someone else, not saying that wasn't the right thing to do, but you know, this, they wrote this part. I, I get the feeling like they wrote this part, like as they were dating and mm-hmm. it was kind of part of their courtship. You know, I think I read a review where they were like talking about this on a date, like how would we do this? And it was kind of a bonding thing for them. So I know it's a really personal story and a really personal project. And I do love that it is a differently abled character that like you said, is not helpless is very proactive without having like magical abilities. Um, so there's a lot of, really good stuff in it but it is problematic given where we are now yeah it's it's the only thing that holds it back and i think there's Mm -hmm. also a a set of circumstances that you can't repeat because Mm -hmm. he's coming off of oculus which is a very good film and has a very well-deserved cult to it right now Mm -hmm. but he comes off of that into a project that's kind of like a hey if you could do anything what would you do proposition and before i wake which just becomes a a production and then release nightmare where mm-hmm. just the company that 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 financed it falls apart and it's just in nowhere land mm-hmm. and uh this happens basically as he's like well I don't know if I'm really going to be able to convince anyone to make a movie again because my last <laughs> one is it, everyone's convinced is so bad you can't see it when in fact no one will release it because no one wants to pick up the amount of money we we use to make mm-hmm. it. So he kind of like m- makes this happen and it's a tight frame and Blumhouse goes, here's a very limited amount of money. And if you could do it this and if you can do it fast, we can do something with it. Mm-hmm. And then it lands on Netflix as one of those very, very, very early, uh, you know, properties that they buy and it kind of is on your home screen i think literally for three years mm-hmm. this and creep we're like mm-hmm. here are movies that we that we quote unquote <laughs> made please watch them mm-hmm. <laughs> they're good and they're weird and they're horror and it works and now netflix doesn't even carry this motherfucker <laughs> No, it's nobody does. The only, no. the, the only way you can find it is it's there's a pretty good, admittedly, rip on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, this is like corporate fuckery of mm-hmm. the highest order that it's one thing if Netflix says, hey, we don't find value in this anymore. That's fine. Why is this not on Tubi? Why is this not on Freebie? Why is right. this not available for you to buy on fucking blu-ray why has the world been robbed of being able to watch this movie especially with the house of usher just around the corner yeah, they like, should. it's not like mike flanagan has right they should the they, they should exactly. be they should be promoting everything that they have from him you know, especially, and there's a lot of shit on. You know, these especially you know? you know, which I completely for. I, I this is only the second time I've seen this movie. I saw it pretty close to when it was first put on Netflix. Mm. I completely forgot about the connection to Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah. you know, to you know, as big a thing as Midnight Mass turned out to be, 
for them to be like, yeah, let's just kind of, you know, let's, let's kind of sweep that one under the rug, you know, like, like they're, like they're embarrassed, like mm-hmm. it's something to be embarrassed about is, you know, yeah. you, you know, that it's not, true. it doesn't exist in the same universe. The, the twist, I don't even, don't even really a twist is that the, 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 the main character, Kate Siegel's character, she's an author. She's written one book. The book is Midnight Mass. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, in fact, and in fact, you know, a number of, you know, a couple of actors uh, in, who would later be in Midnight Mass are, are also in this, you know, including Kate Siegel. And Samantha mm-hmm. Sloyan, yeah. who, you know, plays, you, you know, fuck a Bev Keen. <laughs> yeah, perfectly. Like, it's it's chilling for me, or it's it's weird for me to see her play, like, a happy, normal, nice person, It is. She's you know? so... Because she is such she is a great so villain. She's like that yeah. Stephen King evil church lady in that movie. And and, yeah. and um, uh, uh, Michael Truco, who played the mayor of uh, the town in, in Midnight Mass. He, he's... He's oh, almost unrecognizable. Right. He's almost unrecognizable because I didn't recognize him. He's the big yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. Whereas in Midnight yeah. Mass, he looks like oh. he looks like a real life Ned Flanders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. And in this one, he's Ned Flanders in Streetcar Named Desire. Where exactly. He he's like, oh, hello. Open. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's just a, it, considering what Flanagan has done for Netflix. Uh-huh. Like. Listen, not every relationship lasts forever. Uh, we've we've all seen people who are like, hey, I'm a diehard X, Y, or Z. And then, you know, things change and you mm-hmm. find yourself going elsewhere. But you can't argue with what the main has done for your platform, whether it is because Oculus has been there for a really long time and then hush. And then you go to... Uh, the Haunting of Hill House and mm-hmm. uh, Bly Manor and Gerald's Game uh-huh. and fucking Midnight Mass. And I just cannot believe that Midnight Club not being as big as Wednesday is something you need to punish him for where you just make Hush fucking disappear. Exactly. And Hush is a good movie, you know? Yes. And I know that he's got an upcoming deal with Amazon, I think, for The Dark Tower, which I will believe that when I see it because mm-hmm. I still don't know if we will ever see a good adaptation of that. But, like, I, I just surely these people have been around the industry for long enough not to hold it against them and keep themselves from making money in the process, you know? And yet, and, and yet, yet we Adams. can't find it. <laughs> Uh, and you know, listen, uh, if I were to cast my mind back and I would say, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z are actually very smart people. And then to learn that they would sacrifice paying 45 million to lose $500 million. Uh, that's just one fucking studio. Um, it's, it's, it's quite an eye opener. And apparently they refuse to open their eyes and no, um, their stock price doesn't seem to uh, fail as much as it should as a result of terrible business ideas. But this is not a strike podcast. <laughs> as much as I would just like to rant and rave about mm-hmm. it. So Hush, as we said, is this very unique thing where mm-hmm. on a date, he looks over and says, if you could act in anything any vehicle that could be yours, like what would be the big challenge that you would want to do? And they have this very play on wait until dark meets the strangers sort mm-hmm. of scenario that 
feels like a genuine acting and directing challenge. It almost has the feel of movies that were made during the pandemic, you know, because mm-hmm. it is so limited and so contained. And it also has a lot to do with Gerald's game, I think, too. And I know that um, speaking of if you could make anything, I know Flanagan would carry around a copy of Gerald's game yeah. to pitch meetings and say, this is I want to do this. But everybody thought that was unfilmable. And so I think there's a lot of Gerald's game DNA in this movie as well. Yeah. It's it's incredible the challenges he puts in front of himself, mm-hmm. uh, but he seems to have a sense of how you can translate what would otherwise trip a lot of people up uh-huh. into very compelling storytelling that also manages to scare people. And I think that is a very rare gift. And But we also seem to be confronted with a bit of a... Uh, a, a renaissance of people who think along these lines. And I know, Gina, we've talked about this a little bit at length, but you can, I would put Flanagan in the pool there with Peel and with Aster in terms of people who really understand how to manipulate horror content into something that is both big and personal and assignments that other people I just don't think can carry it off. I, I you know, the only thing I don't think they can do is each other's movies. Right. Yeah. They, they, they have mm-hmm. a very, like they all have a very signature style. Right. Yeah. I once started a, an editorial with like Mike Flanagan has been reading. My diary <laughs> <laughs> because like He is so like, he's got a very specific style. And I think as he goes further into his career, you know, a little of the schmaltz drifts in a little bit. I happen to like that kind of schmaltz and the emotional manipulation that I can see is my. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, I, I, I'm planning on doing my third watch of midnight mass in a couple of weeks. And uh-huh. I know I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry again. I, I you gotta yeah, get that I'm going to cry, cry yeah. all over again. Even though I know exactly what's coming. Uh-huh. I was watching that uh, and the last 15 minutes and I, uh, Corey walked in, Corey's my husband and he walked into the room as I was just sobbing and I turned around and I screamed at him to get out because he was ruining my big emotional <laughs> moments and I could not have it. <laughs> Don't but see I agree me like with this. You. Exactly. It was like knocked up when he walks into the birthing room. <laughs> um, but I agree with you. And I think Flanagan is, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. He is not for everybody, but I think he is able to tackle really big and hard to visualize pro- projects, like specifically Dr. Sleep. Like I know Dr. Sleep didn't do that well when it was, when it was released. But like, if you think about the challenge of that movie, considering what is in the book and the legacy of The Shining. That is an incredible movie. Well, I think it's not a matter of quality. And the cult also continues to grow for Dr. Sleep as well as Mm -hmm. it should. Uh, I think the director's cut needs to become the main cut of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is obviously a a bigger climb for people, but it really does encompass the impossible. That is a tightrope walk that should be impossible and yet he makes it possible Mm -hmm. but the financial issue with that has everything to do with them slotting the film into two weeks into september rather than putting it in october when it would have had the run of the table they Mm -hmm. just 
naturally assumed that it would have the same appeal as It Chapter 1. And you have to wonder, you saw both movies. <laughs> and I know you you can't, the one thing you can't predict is actual anticipation within an audience. Uh, and I think it took everyone by surprise that it struck that hard with Gen Z. Mm-hmm. But that being said, they are very different properties. And uh-huh. positioning it as an early Oscar fave rather than a scary movie that is just also dramatically very interesting is what cost it 60 to $70 million. Well, then I think that weekend was also the weekend of um, Terminator Dark Fate, which <laughs> is not a great movie, but it is the reunion with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. And Terminator 2 is a perfect movie. And so I had a very, very hard weekend trying to decide which one of these I was going to go see. I ultimately chose Dr. Sleep, but, you know, I can't imagine that helped it either. No, I, I just, I think it, they really misread the flow of uh, of where the audience would accept it as a motion picture. Whereas mm-hmm. if they had, if they had put it, or actually it was November, not September. My apologies. Yeah, it was right after Halloween, I think, which was right another after thing Halloween. too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, and at that point, there is a certain, we experience it on this show. I don't know if, if it happens to you on, on the shows that you work on, but there is a bit of a, a lull that happens at some point in November where oh. people are like, okay, mm-hmm. uh, all right, uh, listen, I'm going to put this away for a couple months. Absolutely. Yeah. Enough of this murder stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's time to be jolly. I want to, I want to fill my eyeballs with frosty or whatever. Exactly. The hell. Until I get around to those. Christmas <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and, and yeah. then you come <laughs> back around to it, but you, you had a crisis point and, mm-hmm. To release that at that at that moment, I think is is wild. As opposed to that it slot, which was September and after the summer lull, and just people were into it, and it ran the table. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It just it's it screams with a bad dis- business decision. But what you cannot do is look at that film or this film or his output in general and go, "Wow, that's a fucking loser." No. I mean, I, I- if if your biggest whiff is before I wake, you're doing pretty. You're doing pretty good. good yeah. You know, but in talking about Doctor Sleep, uh, one thing I, I I really like about Flanagan as a filmmaker is that he is, and and it's you know all filmmakers should be like this, but you know that's not always reflected. He's very thoughtful in the decisions that mm-hmm. he makes, and I maybe this is a controversial opinion. I actually like the movie Doctor Sleep more than I like the book overall Uh, because Mm. I I think he makes and and I think it's because of the decisions Flanagan makes that that go against how the book plays out. Uh, I never Mm -hmm. cared for that familial relationship between uh, between Danny and um, the little bit Abra. Yeah, I, I did not buy that for a second mm-hmm. in the in the book. And I also didn't mm-hmm. like that Danny survived in the book. I, I I thought it was better that, you know, he kind of, I mean, it was tragic, but, you know, I, I sort mm-hmm. of liked that he just kind of chose to, you know, more or less stay behind at the at the hotel, you know, and just sort of kind of, you know, mm-hmm. acted as like, you know, her, you know, sort of, you know, her conscience, I guess. I thought that was 
he becomes her he becomes her handler. right exactly exactly yeah. mm-hmm. and i like the decisions he makes in hush i i like that he mm-hmm. there, there are virtually no jump scenes in a, in a because mm-hmm. a jump scene wouldn't work on her like like that that's, that would be right. strictly to manipulate the audience you know because you know you mm-hmm. just suddenly banging on the window would not that would do nothing for her that would have no effect and it also does not go for the cheap like rapey aspect Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how many other movies do you think would have the main heroine of the film receive an arrow to the leg, have her need to take off her pants, and then go, she puts her pants back on? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, the 99.9 would just have her pantsless for the rest of this fucking movie. Looking at you, alien. Which uh, well, I love you that know. movie, but I, to be honest, like if you are not specifically paying attention to that scene, you wouldn't know she took her pants off. Exactly. You know, because well, it's, it's not, not the focus. like th- there's not exactly there's no like close up. You know, yeah. And you know, she's obviously an attractive woman. She's a lot of fun to look at. There's no unattractive people in this movie, but it's the yeah. movies. That's what you part of the reason you go. It's full mm. of attractive people. Uh, you know, unless you're like firing up gummo for the night, whoever that person is. Um, so I, I just think that thoughtfulness is it really goes a long way towards he just he, he casually introduces you to elements that become very important later on without making it feel like you're doing visual homework. Mm-hmm. And that is very hard to do. It mm-hmm. just, it, it's one of those things I really appreciate when a film gives you a map uh, as, as not as like you need to know this, but just as a casual, this will be memorable because, and then later on, it is memorable. I don't have to worry about where the bathroom is or what is in the room just beyond the kitchen or how her front door or back door work. All this has happened in casual action in the introduction of character rather than making statement pieces of she's deaf, (laughs) D-E-A-F. It's just she happens to be deaf. And right, and you get you get enough, he, he parcels out just enough information to give the character dimension without sort of spinning its wheels. Like we know she has, mm-hmm. you know, we know that she, you know, you, you lives in this place because she's trying to write her second novel and having trouble with it. We know that she has a close relationship with her family. We know that she's gone through a recent breakup, but that there seems like the, the, both of them might still have some feelings for each other because, you know, he's sending her texts. He's thinking about her. She's considering, you know, FaceTiming with him. And, and but, you know, she doesn't. But we really never get any kind of, you know, it, it's enough that, the, you know, this is something she's struggling mm-hmm. with because, you know, it's, not really relevant to the rest of the plot. You know, he, he never shows up. There's no big, like, you know, zero hour, you know, rescue from him or anything like that. This is just another thing that's going mm-hmm. on in her life that gives the character dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, the DNA of this, what is, what is I, I, both of your um, sort of history with wait until dark? Because I, I find this a very, interesting companion piece because a lot of people have tried that wait until dark but it's this 
Mm-hmm. And I think this is the only thing that actually comes close to even approximating what the end of that movie, and conversely the play, is, which is mm-hmm. you don't know what the fuck happened. Mm-hmm. You're just sitting with it. What could have happened, what did or didn't. It just, it doesn't need to tell you. It doesn't want to tell you. Mm-hmm. Sit in it. And there's a lot of sit in it moments that are just drizzled throughout this. Um, Jen, what's your what your feelings on Wait Until Dark? Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I love that movie. And I remember in high school, my non-horror loving friends would tell me how scary that movie is. It's like, you got to see it. You got to see it. So I sought it out and I watched it then and I was just blown away by it. And I completely agree. I feel like there's so much in the DNA of this movie that is Wait Until Dark, but it doesn't feel like a retread of the movie, even though there are plot elements that are the same because there's a little bit of the Silence of the Lambs element, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there's, and I, I think that a lot of what makes this work on its own and not be wait until dark is kind of that internal monologue with that comes from Gerald's game, which is her talking to herself and kind of finding this inner strength and working the logical plans out, you know, and I think that's, that's what separates it a little bit, but I agree. I think it really nails the ending of that in the same way that wait until dark does. Yeah. Um, oh, I, yeah, I think it's a great movie. Um, I, I think what both movies have in common is they they don't uh, infantilize her, you know, d- despite being mm-hmm. you know she is she is pretty smart and savvy, and and turns what her you know, att- her you know, aggressor perceives a weakness against him, you know, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a way that you know, gives her the upper hand in the situation, which I think is very clever. Mm-hmm. And this thing does something that that wait until dark doesn't because in that spoiler alert for a film <laughs> that came out in 1967. Um, but you have uh, three people against right. One it's a whole conspiracy against her and wait until dark. Yes. Whereas here it's just a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and there's a whole talking like it's a it's a lot of talking. It's a you know it's a converted play, mm-hmm. so. It's, there's a lot of yickety yakking, whereas here, <laughs> needless to say, the yickety yak is really cut down. And, and also, mm-hmm. it's Bare made more frightening by the aspect that this is completely random. Like, he he, he doesn't yeah. know who yeah. she is. He doesn't know that she's hearing impaired. You know, he, he has no, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what was it? They were, they were looking for a doll in the, in Wait Until Dark. They had like, like something hits. Yeah, that's right. Kind of uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it isn't anything personal with her but it is deliberate in their selecting her if that makes if that makes sense um here yeah. it's just you know it's like the like uh you know because you were home which is like you know yeah, this, the, the, the scariest reason someone can give to torment you yeah well and you wonder if um the friend had not run over to her house would he ever have that's true yeah her, I mean, he he sought know? out the friend yeah. first you know again presumably completely yeah. at random well and i think you know, as to the yickety yak, which I love, like, I know that I read an interview with Kate Siegel where I think she was talking about a lot of her writing credit is not the dialogue. It was the plotting. And I think it was based on the house they were living in at the time. And so it was really kind of storyboarding or like, um, 
I don't know, writing the action of it rather than the dialogue because there's really not much dialogue at all. No. Like there's not even subtitles too, which I'm pretty sure unless YouTube erased them, I don't think they can do that, right? I, I don't remember there being any. And momentarily I was like, oh, isn't it? And then I remembered. No, I don't think you saw any to begin with. Yeah, I don't it think so It just kind of pre presents it as you get the gist mm -hmm. of what she's yeah. trying to say. And, and her, you know, the person that she's talking to is filling in the gaps. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like that, um, why, why are you doing this? Because you were home situation. I feel like that is one of those tropes that is very, very scary, but there is a portion of the both horror audience and non horror audience who just like, come on, tell me the reason they just gotta have that reason. It's just gotta be there. And I think for certain movies, that's very, very true. But for this and for the strangers in particular, you don't, they don't, the, the reason is what they said. You were home. That's it. He happens upon this and then decides, here's the one opportunity I will ever have to truly torment somebody who will not have the ability to scream for help? I'm also I'm also glad and I'm also glad I, they I, didn't have a moment where like uh, you know she puts on the TV or something and there's like oh a serial killer is on the loose blah 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 yeah she's already you know you you at unease you know she like has yeah. you know, he's literally almost in her face before she realizes what's going that there's something wrong. Well, and that's the thing. She does not do anything wrong. And like, she doesn't do anything to deserve her fate. She just happens to be living her life. And I mean, I could say maybe part of why it happened is because she's a woman living alone and part, of, or she has a lot of windows in his her house, but it's really just this sick man happened to walk by and just caught her eye, you know, or he, she caught his eye. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. He, I think he saw an opportunity, you know, a two for one opportunity where he had, you know, you know, yeah. he attacked her friend first and then her you know, friend, you know, took off, you know, looking for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey. And I think that is terrifying that because, you know, if she couldn't do anything to protect herself or to keep herself out of his gaze, then I can't either, you know, and I'm going to be home alone. I like to have my windows open, you know, and there's something to be said about the, the visual nature of how the home is designed, mm -hmm. the fact that it is, there are so many windows. And I live, I live in a mid-century modern house that has more windows and doors. All the doors are windows. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I, don't I, I barely have any walls holding this joint up. <laughs> it's primarily windows. So that idea of really not being able to hide mm -hmm. is huge. Now compare this, Gina, to something we talked about just a, a, a month or two ago, the Tales from the Crypt uh, movie version of And All Through the House. Right. In which, A, he's described, like you said, all over the radio as a, a, a homicidal maniac has escaped the home for the criminally insane. <laughs> and like, you know, he's six foot three, 210, bald, dirty as shit. And she can't even close the fucking curtains and she's committing <laughs> Mandy's writing a book and she's like preparing a bad meal. Like it's a, it's a very noticeable difference from how this scenario is generally played out. And that, that, and all through the house segment is 
barely 20 minutes. And this thing goes on for 80 and maintains that suspense is Again, yet another insane tightrope walk. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you guys. Uh, is uh, you Mike Hannigan to, Mike Flanagan to hands like what Guillermo del Toro is to faces? Yes, and what Ari Aster <laughs> right. is to heads. It's, yes. So it's yes. this, it's Gerald's game. Are there any other ones in which he has just, you know, someone's hand getting completely jacked up? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yes. He fucks her hand up too. Yeah. My friend actually cross stitched a sampler that says Mike Flanagan hates hands. (laughs) (laughs) I I love a signature like horror director who just, you know, loves to see a certain body part just get jacked the fuck up. I love it. Uh Uh-huh. Oh yeah. yeah, and this hand scene is brutal. I would not say it's as bad. Oh no, 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 no. I don't know. No, Gerald's Gerald no. game is like prolonged. Oh yeah, oh, that's like pro level hand torture. But this is pretty rough. I think this is worse than Doctor Sleep, and uh, and to the fact that that is her way of communicating. Also, you know, it's it's like insult to injury. Yeah, well, I think he's trying to make her scream. You know, mm-hmm. and she, but she yeah. literally physically cannot. Uh, it, it, he's he's trying to provoke a reaction because I think deep down here is a person who in his adult mind has you know we don't we don't know if he's been a long-standing successful murderer or it's all been building up to her next door neighbor and this just happens to be dessert well that's another great mm-hmm. thing like like you know, the script does not care who this man is he he is literally yeah. credited as the man there's the, yeah. we, we don't, as you say, we don't know how long he's been doing this. We don't know if he, you know, if this is his very first night killing or, or, you know, he has like, you know, a long <laughs> trail of victims. We, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. We, we, they, the movie does not elaborate on it. And you know what? That's totally fine. I honestly think the neck tattoo tells us everything we need to know, you know? <laughs> Yes, it's a person who he's made a lot of bad decisions. You know, getting made, a neck yeah, tattoo, yeah. decide to become a you know, <laughs> a you know a murderer by a home invasion. A, a tribal say- neck tattoo, Gina, <laughs> mm. for a white guy. There's Even a lot worse. of mm, yeah. There's a lot of red flags going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's trying to kill her. I will say, yeah. I do think I remember from the first time when I was not watching it on YouTube, seeing like tally marks on his crossbow and I think that is the most information we get about him and I think that is what makes it scarier like I love the mask that he wears I think John Gallagher Jr. is fantastic in this role I love him as an actor and he's one of those really interesting actors that I think can play really charming and likable and also really evil and gross you know and like in this performance but like the more we get, to, the most we really get to know about him is his face, you know? Yeah. And I love the moment when he takes his mask off, which like feels like a subversion. Well, yeah, because you know? she's like, she's like, yes. you know, you know, you, I'll let you, you, you can go. I, I haven't seen your face. And he's like, well, now you have, so now I have to kill you. Right, right. And it's just, I love that the seeing his face is scarier than seeing him in the mask, you know? Because it's blank. It, there's a mm-hmm. lot yeah, there's of like no re- there's, baby face Michael Myers. There's going no real on here. like he's mm-hmm. very soft spoken, you know. It's just he he's like and again he just does not seem to have any reason for doing this. He's just you know he yeah. just loves to kill. He may be a bit of an incel, maybe. <laughs> 
Listen, he, he's carrying around a vibe. That's he for sure. definitely is. Yes. He's yes. paying eight bucks for Twitter. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. yeah. I mean, he makes some con- he 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 makes some like vaguely snide remarks about her friend boyfriend, you know, being built like a linebacker and all. And then you can kind of feel, you know, that he's working some mm. shit out with that, and you know, was all all too pleased like, the opportunity to be able to you know you know, kill a guy who probably represented someone who used to pick on him in high school. Mm-hmm, absolutely, he's cat turd <laughs> dot three um, here's a something that I didn't really think about uh, until rewatching it here. But is this, in a way, one of the catalysts of what would go on to be known as like screen horror? This is before. Mm. This is before. You know, we we've had a, a, an onslaught both pre and during the pandemic of some screen horror stuff where we're really viewing a lot of it through interactions on a screen. And this really, without overusing it, really engages in interesting things that will then pop up in those other films. I feel like it's a bit of a template. It must have sparked some neurons in people along the way because that sequence where he starts sending her photos from her own phone mm-hmm. and then determines he that she cannot reach the Wi-Fi of the neighbors because it has a, a WPA2 password protection on the phone. It's kind of like, damn, that's fucking smart. It mm-hmm. just feels smart. I'm not saying he's smart. I'm saying the movie is smart. Well, yeah, and it's, you know, it's kind of emphasizing just how isolated she is. And I love the scene where she's on the phone with her sister and she sees something move in the back. And I love that that is not overdone. Like we don't get a close up. We don't have a whole montage where she's going back and checking. Like it's just a hint that something is wrong. Somebody may know and maybe he's in the house. And I think that I, I agree. I think if he did it now, it would probably be he would lean into that a lot more, you know, but I think because it was maybe a little bit on the forefront of that, I, I agree that it, it it feels eerie, not oppressive, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just got a lot going on to it that I I just, I found invigorating. When Mm -hmm. I put it on the schedule, I'm like, here's here's a movie that I don't think enough people are talking about. Totally. um, That really does a lot of smart stuff. And I thought, well, this is on Netflix. Everyone's going to be able, (laughs) everyone's going to see it in their feed and go, well, huh. I should watch that again. <laughs> and it's going to be murder to tell people it's not fucking available anywhere, but one decent rip on YouTube. It's mm. just insulting. Mm. It, and if we could do anything with, with this, with this podcast, I would hope that it would be to convince somebody to start airing it fucking somewhere. God mm-hmm. damn it. Bring hush back. Yes. <laughs> right. Why are we being denied this really good? I mean, with movie? all you know, with all the mm-hmm. garbage that's taking up real estate on <laughs> on on Netflix to to kind of just you know, you know, surreptitiously take this movie out of circulation is just so yeah. You're right. It feels very petty. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. you know, I don't know that again. I don't know that that's malicious. I don't know that there isn't some rights issue or whatever. I can't imagine what it would be. This movie has no fucking music in it. Um, yeah. 
I, like, is Apple getting upset? <laughs> is this pre-Apple's um, big edict that no bad guy can use an iPhone and now they're sinking this motherfucking? Mm. <laughs> like, he's yeah, I was going to say, it's not his own personal his own phone. I don't think that should, I don't think that should yeah. count if he steals somebody right. else's phone. What is it? Absentia is out. Like, that is a much lower budget movie and it's still great. That's his first one. Um, it, but it's out in a couple of places. It's on Tubi, it's on Prime. So, like, right. get Hush out there because Hush I, is yeah, great. I just don't understand it. Yeah. Um, Gina, I have a very important question. And, Jen, I want you to think this over. Okay. Can you operate a crossbow in a, in a, in a <laughs> situation you need to? get on that. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be dropping sure. a lot of those arrows. I got to admit it. I mean, I, you know, maybe after a couple <laughs> yeah. of tries, I might be able to, to launch one, but you know, particularly mm -hmm. if I'm panicking and it's dark and I'm in pain, you know, I, 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 yeah, some, some of those just go right to the floor. This is the non-humorous uh, version of, um, who was it in, um, Oh God! What's the hide and hide and seek movie where he goes and Google's how to use a crossbow? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I would absolutely. Yeah. You know, please God, there's got to be instructions for this thing somewhere. Exactly, but I love that, and I think that is what another thing that this movie does very smartly is just because you have the weapon doesn't mean you know how to use it. And I love his little smarmy. Oh, it's pretty hard, isn't it? You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is at the again at the apex of another movement, which is crossbow horror. I love it yeah. because you have your it. next and hide and seek mm -hmm. that happen in succession here that all deal with intricacies of how fucking hard it is to actually use a crossbow. Yeah. It is not easy. Like it has a place for you to put your foot. <laughs> Most people don't remember that you have to use your foot mm -hmm. to load a fucking crossbow. Well, and it's such a great weapon, too, because it's so quiet, you know, yes. and it's not like an immediate killer unless you happen to get like a really heavy vein. Like it's more of a stabbing weapon from afar, you know, so there's there's a lot you can play with. Like you can stab somebody or you could shoot somebody over and over and over again with a crossbow and your movie keeps going, you know, so it's just it's perfect for horror movies. Did you just name a Quentin Tarantino script? <laughs> Shooting someone over and over, over with and a over crossbow. again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Green and his crossbow. <laughs> it's the only area he hasn't got. He's already it, gone it for is, the yeah. flamethrower. I mean, what's left? Maybe oh, that he's last working minute. on one where he just shoots feet for the whole <laughs> <Right>. time. <laughs> again, if feet are your thing, we're fine with uh, you being a exactly Flintstone. Right, there yep. are worse problems in this world. That is We've true. We've said it before. We'll say it again. It's an easy joke, but it's also it just because it fucking works. Like, yeah. I didn't force him to put that many feet in his movies. Exactly. Just don't shoot those feet with crossbows. <laughs> just don't do it. Uh, you know, you know Flanagan ain't because he's going to be aiming for hands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, hide and seek is another movie with a lot of hand damage. Oh, what if they ever made a movie together? <laughs> it's also, it's, there's one Stephen King book in the background, but it's Mr. Mercedes. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. I did not notice that, which I just reread because of Holly coming out. And it is a lot better than I remember reading the first okay. time. Okay. Although, no. Yeah, I had to reread re <sighs> yeah. that. I did not care for that one. Yeah. I feel like I fell asleep a lot. <laughs> it's and short. I liked it a lot better on reread. And I find a lot of times, sometimes if there's a King book that I don't like the first time, once I know how it's going to end, I enjoy it a lot more the second time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm seeing well, the, the tree or the forest for the trees or something. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm the weirdo who's read insomnia like five oh. times. <laughs> insomnia. Oh, insomnia. Is great. Insomnia, insomnia is so creepy. It's so unsettling. Mm-hmm. Oh, the scene. Maybe it's, maybe it's because, because I have he, suffered from insomnia quite frequently in my life. So <laughs> it's like, I'm going to start seeing some weird shit soon, aren't I? Yeah. Well, the scene where he cuts his skin open on his hand with the scissors. <sighs> it's like on par with the hand shit here, you know? I, I just love how weird he makes dairy in, a, in mm-hmm. a, a town that you've already know a lot of weirdness about, mm-hmm. that he's completely unaware of its weirdness. And he just slowly melds into, you know, the, the, that wonderful Stephen King thing where your protagonist or group of protagonists all by the ma- machinations of the book slowly become the hero just over the course of it's like it's destiny. Mm-hmm. The content exists mm-hmm. and then they just move towards the goal. And yeah. while it caught, co- it can cost them everything, but they, they still do it because there's a humanity there that compels them forward. And insomnia has that in spades. And I just don't, I think it's because it's that one really unexplored Steve. Yeah. I, I, I really, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 100% here for that run of very weird, very gruesome books. He put out, you have that, you have Rose matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you have, you have yeah. desperation in the regulators where it, it's just yes. like, I don't know what the fuck's happening, but I'm on board. Right. Yes. Yeah. With the, your weird cowboy drawings. Yep. I'm down. There's a scene where somebody drinks honey that has stuck with me forever. <laughs> and I love honey, but just how torturous that is to read it. But you know, those are tower adjacent. Some of them are tower adjacent books. So maybe Flanagan. Right. I mean, insomnia, insomnia. You, you, yeah. you, a kid draws a picture of Roland. And I just, yeah. I just yes. like, I was like, mm-hmm. what? So the first time I read yeah. that. What, like 700 pages in? Like, holy shit, are we talking about the tower? Yeah, he just casually mentions yes. this, this, you know, this kid's drawing a picture of the tower. Although with insomnia, uh-huh. for me, the most the most unsettling part was the little tunnel with all the things that they collected. And Ooh, one of them uh-huh. was Gage Creed's shoe. And I'm like, yes. get the fuck out of here, Stephen King. What are you doing to me? Mm-hmm. It's just when he throws in those little Easter eggs, it's just... Perfect. It's like in 11:22 when two of my favorite characters of all time show up. I'm just like, ah, oh, chef's kiss. Yeah. I, I oh God. Yeah. All right. This is not a Stephen King podcast. <laughs> um, and yet, um, I feel like I think one of the reasons why Flanagan gets at King. He just understands how those story structures work. Well, I, you know, I, I told you this, but I went before, I don't remember what it, I think it was one of the episodes of Chat by Chat, where I, one of the reasons mm-hmm. that I love uh, Midnight Mass so much is because to me, it, it you know, it seeds, you know, were planted with Salem's Lot. And, and mm-hmm. I just feel that, you know, that had to have been a huge influence on Flanagan and yes. you know you, you, it's not it's it's not unreasonable to to bring up King you know specifically with Hush because he raved about it when it came out and I think yes. that that got a lot of you know audiences eyes on it that otherwise might not have heard about it yeah 
Well, Stephen King, you know, known for being hush hush about things he enjoys. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Especially um, Netflix shows, you know. <laughs> I just, I wish, I, I wish. There's a part of me that does wish I enjoyed everything as much as he does. Mm -hmm. That being said, he does really wear his heart on his sleeve by something that tickles him. He's like, <laughs> that was worth my 80 minutes. That's mm -hmm. a good time. And I we're so cynical about a lot of stuff. I say this on a on a horror podcast that made its bones making fun of Friday the 13th for <laughs> two and a half years. Oh. Um, but you know, he really does enjoy things wholeheartedly and is not afraid to tell people. And I, there are worse sins in this fucking world, which is part of the reason, if we're going to go back to Twitter, why Elon Musk is so desperate for his approval. Mm -hmm. Because he's seen, he's seen Stephen King go, if you see one Dracula on a boat movie, <laughs> make it the last voyage of the Demeter. You know, set sail. Uh -huh. I call me Captain Howie because I'm, you know. Well, and I love how he. I feel like he doesn't necessarily seek out, but he really makes it a point to support like people on on the very early stages of their careers. You know, yes. or like especially with books. You know, he'll really kind of promote first time novelists if he enjoyed the book. And you know, he's not offering like a a well-worded, like 700 word review, you know, he's just saying, Hey, this was fun. This was worth my time. It's going to be worth your time too. And yeah. he knows the platform he's got and he's willing to use it to help people, which I love, you know? Yeah. Although I, I read dance macabre like every five years. It's so good. It's yes. so good. Mm -hmm. And the way he talks about the house next door, have you ever read that? <gasps> The house next door. Yeah. It's uh, been a I mean, long time. It's been a long time, but I'm yeah. always, I like I'm reading this. And in the first 25 pages, that protagonist is jogging topless. Oh, <laughs> and you're like, fucking why? Uh -huh. just, why? Why? What was, why? Mm. And the rest of the book, very, very good. But that's always the thing that struck me is, the, 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 you read that and you're like, you know what? I'm settling in, baby. If it was not for Dance Macabre, I would have was said, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. It's just one of those character decisions. You just can't. It just seems completely foreign. Now, let's transpose that to Maddie, who is very down to earth. Mm -hmm. But and it just possesses just enough wherewithal where she knows she's in a very dire situation and she but she, she's not paralyzed by it all the time but when she sees something that's completely fucked up sometimes she's like you know what i'm dropping this flashlight and backing up out of this fucking room mm -hmm. i just i my my brain has gone bye bye here there's that little bit of toby hooper in this where but it's not the uh, Toby Hooper, I'm, my brain is exploding in sparks. She just has to shut down for a while. Her brain goes into sleep mode for mm -hmm. like a minute and a half. I mean, I get it. That happens, that happens, that happens, that happens to me like when I'm on a really crowded, crowded subway train. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, what I love about Maddie and that is like sh- this feels like a situation that they have really lived through, you know, or not lived through for real, but like they've really worked all the steps through. Like nothing she does feels dumb. Nothing she does feels like something you couldn't see yourself. Right, doing, exactly. You know? it, it all feels mm-hmm. yeah. know, very it, everything feels very believable. Yeah, very yes. and considered, you know, and I love I love that she just takes her time, you know, and she's like she's got a lot of strength at the end, but she's just kind of laying on the floor of the kitchen when she's like lifts up that wasp spray, which is probably how I would shoot it too. <laughs> um, yes. And I like that her quote unquote superpower in the end is her writer's voice. Mm-hmm. Is she thinks through the situation as she would a situation that she is writing. And she finds a solution that she will try. And again, it's not like you hear it at the end, but you also see it throughout. It's it's when she causes a, a, a distraction with the car alarm to check for the phone. It's when mm-hmm. she throws the strobe light away uh, mm-hmm. to cause a distraction so that, that she can get to the other side of the house without him there and noticing. It's just small things where she tries out plans and some of them work 50%, some mm-hmm. of them work 20%. And the last one is just a real reach. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know it, this is the one that works 100%. Yeah. what y'all think of the fake out? When, uh, did you think she was actually dying? Cause I think the first time I was like, what the fuck did he just smash her head? Yes. Uh, I, in fact, I thought it again. (laughs) It faked me out a second time. (laughs) But I love that. And I think that, that, um, kind of tells me how little Flanagan is fucking with us in this movie is that that works, you know, because that is such like, it's not a dream sequence, but it is a, a bait and switch for the audience, but it works because we already believe that Maddie is the kind of person that will work through this in her head. And Mm -hmm. so once he pulls it back, we're like, Oh, okay. Thank God. And okay. What's the next step, you know? And I I just Mm -hmm. love it. Um, And you know, I, the false promise of the, the next door neighbor, boyfriend john you know with the whole i'm gonna choke you out sequence and there's a lot of things that just feel like oh if 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 only he had enough strength to really put him out if only she could have uh you know tossed that thing farther and really fooled him she could have head off in the other direction Mm -hmm. there's a lot of woulda coulda shoulda here that doesn't feel like it's just toying with you it just feels like oh they just don't have enough. It's just mm-hmm. not the right plan at the right time. Mm-hmm. It, it never feels like it's cheapening out on you um, in a big, significant way where you feel like, oh, you're just yanking my chain. I, I, I don't really, even when your chain gets yanked at the end. Yeah. Yeah, and for such a small cast, it's like we get the feel of a slasher like we get to feel like we are seeing these deaths like a series of deaths because she is thinking through or she's trying out or she's coming very close but we still get to keep our our same character and i think it's really smart to structure the film that way when you really only had this is essentially a two-hander you know yeah uh, it's just it's a really incredible feat for yeah. doing this on a million dollars and he would go on to do bigger tightrope walks but this just demonstrates that he's not he's just not satisfied 
with the with it being simple. Mm-hmm. Simple is an interesting way to do it, but that doesn't mean you can't complicate it in small, smart ways. Mm-hmm. And it, it just it, it feels like he's a very unique voice, whereas Peel transposes these giant ideas into very intimate situations. And Aster just has a way of creeping into the back of your skull and making you uh, feel out of control like you're Mm -hmm. in the middle of a panic attack. Even Mm -hmm. if that panic attack is in broad daylight, Mm -hmm. you know, for two plus hours, they're very rare gifts. And um, I I enjoy the fact that we're in a a moment where there's a lot, and they're not the only ones, but obviously a moment in time where so many people are able to create so many interesting things within the horror realm. It's a very enjoyable time to be a horror Yes, completely agree. Yeah. So um, before we go, of course, uh, it's very important that we choose your death venture. And that is where (laughs) we decide of the, uh, you know, couple deaths here in uh, Hush. If you were forced to die in one of those ways, which one would you choose and why? Of course, up for bid this time, we have shot with a crossbow and then stabbed in the gut Ooh, at least a baker's dozen times. amount of times. Ooh. Oh, that yeah. was a rough one. Now, you can also get blood out from neck stabs and mm. a couple leg slashes. Mm. Or you can just take a corkscrew to the neck a few times. Yeah. That's that's after you taste and see wasp spray, mm-hmm. which I can't imagine is particularly fun. Um, now, Maddie sees a bunch of different scenarios, but I, I think we're going to cut it off at real deaths here mm-hmm. because we, we'd be here all night if we included those. <laughs> so uh, of those scenarios, Jen, I choose you as our guest to go first. Oh, it's a tough one because I don't want to get sprayed by wasp spray. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. The first one is so upsetting. Like, yeah. and she thinks she's going to get away. And I love how it plays out. Like, help is right there, and she yeah. cannot get Maddie's attention, and that's just horrifying. So that one's definitely off the table for me. But there's something really heartbreaking. I think about Big Burly Boyfriend's death when, like, he he stabs him, and he just looks at him, and he says, "No, it's done. Like, <laughs> you're dead." And it's just so cruel, you know. Plus, there's I feel like a. a tendon slice too but i think that's the one i'm gonna go with i think of the three i don't want to get a corkscrew stuck through me that's gonna really like rip a whole bunch of shit out of your throat you know and the wasp spray that's the deal breaker so yes i'm picking big burly boyfriend slowly bleeding out plus you're outside you get to look at the stars (laughs) that's right you want an outdoor death yeah you get 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 a moment like uh like at the end of midnight mass where she's like dying looking up at the stars yeah i'm gonna start crying again jesus yeah yeah. i know (laughs) we're gonna come out of this with a whole list of flanagan tropes uh gina what's Uh, yeah i too am gonna take big burly boyfriend because at least i could at least i get a chance to be heroic before but you know he tried god Mm -hmm. love him he tried he did. He did try. He, he did. did. And yeah. in a in a situation, I like. I was casting my like. Is this a bad boyfriend? No. Is this like yeah. The boyfriend you don't like, and it's nothing. And I don't know why that was in my head. And the whole time I'm going, 
When does he be a bad boyfriend? No, it's he, just like something I invented after the fact. Yeah, it's because yeah. of the patriarchy. He, exactly. He comes. He comes yeah, looking for you know for his for his girlfriend. He's concerned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, not not angry that she's not home. He's concerned, and and you know, and, and he and, yeah. yeah, and he yeah, he figures out. out right away yeah. that there's something not right, and he you know he he tries. Mm-hmm. Bless him. He 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 tries to be the hero. Yeah, it's bad yeah. luck. And Maddie, it, I'm telling you absolute worst time to bang on the glass i think if she had not done that he would have saved the day yeah it's a bummer i mean um, not to victim blame or anything no 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 i mean listen it, it's uh, again, no, it was an accident, this, it was an accident. A, a film that is filled with yeah. b- with with bad plans until a bad plan pans out yeah it's just what it comes down to and they're all extended deaths yeah mm-hmm. and like what do you choose getting stabbed in the neck with with, with a sharp instrument or a corkscrew where it's doing a bunch of damage going in yeah. and just as much damage coming out. Exactly. There's, there's, no, I'm not, I'm not taking wasp spray. I, again, mm-hmm. there's no way I'm taking crossbow and stabbed in the gut that many times. I think neck stabs and that one leg slash, as much as I dislike leg damage, I'm just <laughs> going to have to take that one on the chin. Yeah. Um, that's just the way to go. Uh, before we go, of course, uh, Josh Hollis does all of our artwork and Revenge Bonnie does all of our themes. Go to revengebonniememphis at bandcamp.com for this theme and all of our remixes. Jen, uh, you have stuff on the internet. Where can people find it? I do. Yes, you can find me um, at Jim Ferratu on just various social media platforms. I will post everything there. You can find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast. If you liked hearing me talk about Stephen King, check out that podcast because I do a lot of it there. And I also have a side project with Gina on the Anatomy of a Screen pod squad feed. We have a show called White Ladies in Crisis with Joe Lipset. And I have another show on that feed called The Girls on the Boys, which is about the Amazon Prime series, The Boys, and I might be working on something new. So Excellent. stay tuned for that. <laughs> Wonderful. Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about movies and television at spool.net. I have a substack. It's ginawatchesthings.substack.com. I am on Blue Sky and Instagram under Gina Does Things. And I've also been fucking around on TikTok after all this time. I'm also on G- I'm also uh, Gina does things there. A thousand percent better than I am. <laughs> oh, I don't it's know crazy. about that, but it's just a natural <laughs> goddamn social media. It's infuriating how good you are. I'm still zero zero point J seven nine seven two something dash something on TikTok because I'm. <laughs> you can find us unbelievably on TikTok. Occasionally, I will stick my face in front of the camera. Gina does it much better. Uh, she's figured it out. Um, find our Patreon honestly is where you can find a whole bunch of extra stuff that we're doing that's super fun we got commentaries over Friday the 13th and Halloween movies we got bonus episodes and chat by chat where we answer your questions and uh, don't worry folks uh, the the body count will continue for myself for Gina and for Jen bye bye everybody bye bye